Welcome to How CMOs Commit, the Siegel and Gale podcast that explores how the world's top CMOs are building their brands and the professional commitments they're making as leaders. From the decisions facing CMOs to the commitments they're forging, these conversations are uniquely vulnerable and strategic. In this episode, Siegel and Gale's global CMO, Margaret Malloy, honors International Women's Day 2023 with a special edition of the Future of Branding Roundtable series. Recorded live in Dubai, Dublin, London, New York, and San Francisco, Margaret welcomes leading CMOs for in-depth conversations on brand building and inclusive storytelling. This is how CMOs commit. Good morning, my name is Margaret Malloy. I am the Global Chief Marketing Officer at Siegel & Gale. Siegel & Gale is a preeminent brand strategy, design, and experience firm. Now, I have been over the last couple of days traveling around the world hosting this conversation. This is our inclusive storytelling series, and it's such a treat to be back in London. I see some of our London speakers from 2020 in the audience, and we're honored that you came back. The topic today is inclusive storytelling in the context of International Women's Day. I was in Dubai earlier this week in Dublin. Next week, I host this conversation in New York, and then we head to San Francisco. And in the spirit of inclusion, we are also hosting a virtual panel on March 30th. So, International Women's Day, it's a day celebrating the social, economic, political, and cultural achievements of women. It is also a day to take stock. When I think about the day as a marketer, it strikes me that it presents an opportunity for us as marketing and brand leaders to reflect on the role of brand in society and the role of our marketing in shaping culture and public opinion. It's also particularly in this macroeconomic and challenging geopolitical climate, it's important for us practically speaking, to also recognize that we must assess our marketing programs in the context of attaining our business goals. So therefore, today and indeed in this morning and throughout this program, the question in front of us is, against a backdrop of the theme for International Women's Day, which is Embrace Equity, what, therefore, is the role of brands in embracing equity? And how do we attach that to our business goals? And for this conversation this morning, I have, I have established here an absolutely tremendous panel. And I'm going to invite each of our six speakers to introduce themselves. The opening question, who are you? What is your hometown? Because I want to know you as people as well. And finish this sentence in one word or a phrase. Embracing equity is relevant to our brand because. 
I'm going to go right down the line, and I know I can trust these ladies to be um, efficient with time and equal equity for all speakers, so equal airtime. So if you have a hard task, you, we know that you assign that to a woman. So I have uh, six wonderful ladies here. And before Abby gets us started, having acknowledged a number of my colleagues, I want to also acknowledge there are marvelous male allies in the room, and you are very welcome. We appreciate you. All right, enough of that. Abby. Good morning. My name is Abigail Comba. I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at Signpost. We are a healthcare and diagnostics company. I come from the north, but I escaped the weather and now live in Surrey. And the phrase is... The, the prompt for everyone is... Uh, embracing equity is relevant to my brand, my company, because... Perspectives drive profits. Mm, next up, Stella. We're going to go right down the line. And because we ladies are very good at sharing, we're also going to share the mics. <laughs> Stella. Hi, I'm Stella Medlicott, and I am the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer and Head of Corporate Relations at Ericsson, which is a global company. Um, I come from Leamington Spa in the UK, and I now drive a lot of my role from Leamington Spa, but also uh, a lot in Sweden as well, which is where our, our offices are headquartered. Um, and my answer to your question is um, why it's important to the brand is because you have no long-term strategy without equity. Lynn, please. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, my name's Lynn Ma, and I'm co-head of global marketing for Alliance Bernstein, uh, which is a global asset management firm headquartered in the U.S., uh, my hometown is Calgary, Alberta, Canada, uh, but I've lived in the UK for 15 years. Um, my whole career has actually been in financial services. And I think to answer Margaret's question around um, embracing equity is, I don't think that um, you can have change without commitment. Rachel. God, everyone's so good. Um, Rachel Fairley, I'm from Edinburgh. And um, I work at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. I'm the Global Vice President of Brand Marketing and Experience. Very long title. Um, I have two answers to the question. The first is, it's, I mean, the right to equality is, I think, Article 1 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So it's, it's a fundamental right. Um, but also, we have data that shows that it matters to customers, to the performance of their business, and it matters to talent of where they want to work. So it makes a material difference to the bottom line. Okay, Kate. Uh, good morning. My name's Kate Thunison. Uh, I wear two hats, actually. I'm the CMO of Metal, which is a business banking app powered by NatWest. Uh, and also the CMO of our newly launched uh, banking as a service business where we'll be white labeling financial products for uh, big corporates in the UK. Um, and I am from New York, as you might tell from my accent. And uh, for me, I think the one word is success in that embracing equity and equality is success for us. So. Okay, Hi. Sam. Morning, everybody. I'm Sam Burns. I'm slipping off my stool. Um, I'm the global CMO for KPMG. Um, I think a lot of you all know KPMG, big accountancy firm and advisory services. 
Um, I am originally from Manchester, so you can take the girl out the north, but <laughs> the north is still in me. Um, and my sort of summary, I guess, would be similar to Abby's, but you know, diverse perspectives drive better outcomes. Wonderful. So I look forward to having all of our speakers double click, if you will, on their uh, phrase or word. So Abby, get us started, please. I, I'd love if you would share an example of a marketing initiative that you have that is targeting uh, gender equality. Speak to the program ever so briefly and the benefits of it to the business. So as a diagnostic company, we go into businesses and look at people's well-being, which drives productivity, less absenteeism. Lots of places have private medical insurance, but that's sickness insurance. It's about getting ahead of that. So the key initiative of which I will talk briefly to two, one of them is private medical insurance is often only available to people at a very senior part of the business. Um, but why should healthcare be driven by seniority? So we really encourage all of our clients to be absolutely equitable and give everybody the chance to get a diagnostic health check in the business so they can understand the little lifestyle nudges that they might need to have a healthier, longer life. And then specifically about um, equality, it's actually about seeing people differently, which is slightly converse, and that is that part of um, the health checks that we do, we do then female and male health checks. They're very specific to your age and gender, and that is that we recognise that women in the workplace are often challenged by, you know, their fertility and when they're going to have children because, you know, they want their career, but they want to know that they still have that. And then later, the aspects of menopause and how that's affecting how they feel about themselves, but can often come into performance. And then for gentlemen at the right time, it's about ensuring that you get in early with your prostate checks to ensure that if something happens there, you can get ahead of it because you can survive um, with prostate cancer um, as you know for a very long time. Um, and it's very easy to diagnose. So actually seeing ourselves as individuals and putting those programs into um, into our well-being program is just better than saying that everybody's the same and you know diversity um, drives change um, but it also needs to be seen um, through the perspectives of people being physically very different. And how does that manifest in your marketing, your messaging, communications etc? I think the biggest part is about driving the need for seeing equality in every individual. Um, and this piece for me about seniority. Um, it's not specific to male or female, but as we know, you know, the male index is much higher in senior positions than female. Um, so we push out the why would you not give everybody well-being checks and why would you not recognise what is different in your workforce and give them all equitable chance to live happier, healthier, longer lives. What do you see if you've had a chance to assess the benefits of that program and that, that approach? And what lessons would you share with the crowd? 
Um, so the results, it, it's hard to say now. Um, as a company, we haven't seen cycles of you know, one and two years of people seeing these tests. So I can only talk about qualitative results. And that is that the people that we talk to in businesses are taking that challenge and taking that to people who may not have previously had the perspective of seeing people differently in a workforce and also seeing people equitably. There is a lot of barriers to break down in terms of how people see what the employee value proposition is. And right now at work, people are saying it's tough, you know, economically, it's quite tough out there. We can't give people pay rises, but what we can do is show them that we genuinely do care. And the feedback from colleagues in workplaces from the most senior to new entrants has been that people are looking to employers to make a difference to their lives, not just their pockets. And are you seeing a difference, Abby, in terms of women's response to this, this approach? Uh, versus um, colleagues of other genders? I think that talking to menopause specifically, which is more likely for a more senior person just because of the natural progression and their age, having that as an open conversation, but often having the conversation with a male counterpart and recognizing that that is something that we now talk about. Yes, we are seeing a difference. We're seeing people not squirm at the table when we talk about things like menstruation and menopause. And that was just never talked about. And then it was squirmed about. And now it's just part of life. So yes, we're definitely seeing a difference in attitudes and barriers being broken down and people embracing getting the best out of everybody in everything they do. Tremendous. Thank you for that, Abby. So let's go to telecoms, communications, technology. Stella, same question. Tell us about a program that you're proud of that focuses on gender equity and what you've learned from that program. Thank you. And as you say, Ericsson is a, uh, it's, it's a global company. We're present in 180 different uh, countries around the world. And, uh, and we provide connectivity um, services. And one of the pieces that we have done, and it was really in relation to a piece of work that we did around defining our vision and our purpose. So really getting to the, why do we exist? What would the world be like if Ericsson wasn't there? And sort of really getting to the root of, uh, of understanding who we are. And, uh, and we started this piece of work and really got down to the, uh, the core pieces, which is we are about creating connections, so connecting the world, if you like. And then one of the pieces, the reason that we have um, pulled together a, a project is we were working together with UNICEF and uh, an, an initiative that they have, the GIGA initiative. And I don't know whether anyone is aware of this, but it's also with the ITU because there are 2.7 billion people in the world who are not connected, who are not online. And a lot of those people are in very poor countries, they're very rural, and a lot of those are females as well. And 1.3 billion of those people are children around the world. And so this initiative that was launched is about connecting all of the schools to the internet. And we became one of the first um, technology companies and private vendors to join this. So there's governments, there's NGOs that are all part of this initiative. And what we do as part of this is it's part of how can we connect every school to the internet. In order to do that, the first part of that is actually finding out where all the schools are in the world and actually identifying them and then mapping them before you can actually then start to do anything about that. And so we've, we've become part of this and we've talked about this uh, across our organisation. So this programme is probably one which as a marketer kind of goes a little bit against the grain because it's an inside out programme that we're doing. So it's all within the company that we're really driving this and then getting our people then to take into the storytelling outwards. 
And so we've been driving this initiative. Uh, we've got people involved from a volunteering perspective to actually help in the mapping of those schools. And we've really made it a very inclusive thing that's going on. But in addition to that, we've also had a program that we've been running for a decade now, which is our Connect to Learn program. And this was a program that's been rolling out through all of the different markets as well. And every market is slightly different. And in all of these markets, we do things where we're getting girls um, into STEM and girls to study. Um, the science and technology subjects we've been providing in some of the countries. We provide scholarships into universities. We get our people to go out and do mentoring with girls to get them to actually code and become coders in their, in, in their own right, if you like. And they identify problems in their communities and then start to think about what apps they can develop on the back of that. And so what we've done here is we've put this umbrella project, if you like, in place and then empowered all of the countries to do their own initiatives because every country is different and has different sets of problems that they can do under this umbrella of, uh, of how we are connecting and how we are connecting everyone to the internet and the importance of females in technology as well. And, uh, and so I guess, because you also asked about some of the lessons learned as well, which, and, and this has been, it's been a labor of love, I would say. And, uh, and one of the things that uh, we were actually chatting a little, about, a little bit about this earlier is, it's, you know, you, you don't want to stop the creativity. There's some incredible creativity that happens in each of the countries that we have. But at the same time, the power of the story is in bringing it all together as well into the overarching story. And so part of our challenge, if you like, and our ongoing challenge is how do we, how do we make sure that we keep this umbrella campaign and this, um, um, this umbrella initiative going, but give enough creativity so that people then start to get involved as well and give them the freedom to do their own storytelling, to share it on their social channels, share it internally as well. So you really start to build up a sense of pride. And for us, then it's much more about employer branding, if you yeah. like. And then really sort of, you know, because you want to also be attractive to, to fresh talent coming in. And it's initiatives like that. When I interview people, it's not about the products or the services that you do necessarily. It's actually about what you stand for as well. And the, so those are the things that, uh, that we've really... And Stella, those benefits are extraordinary, both in terms of the impact of the programming and the pride it instills in colleagues. Any surprise benefits that have come from it or indeed anything you would do differently? I would say things that we would do differently is probably quicker. So, so things like we have a volunteering program across the company. And again, we'd started that off with just sort of allowing that to just sort of be people could decide themselves that they can give a volunteering day or a, a volunteering days and they chose what, what it was that they wanted to do. And I guess, you know, what we've learned from that is actually when you put something, a, a, a sort of shared goal to that volunteering, which is actually about education, it is actually about schools, it is actually about going out and talking about technology and talking to females then suddenly you get much more momentum. Mm -hmm. So we thought we were doing the right thing initially of just giving people freedom, but what we learned from that was actually, you know, most of us actually want to sort of have a bit of a guiding star, if you like, and have something to follow. And so that was one of the learnings, I would say. Yeah, I, I definitely had that experience. Sometimes a constraint can be liberating because it helps point folks in the right direction. Um, all right. Next up, Lynn, from, from the financial services standpoint, share with us an initiative. Uh, we, I'm very proud to say we recently, with partnership with one of our uh, banking partners, launched a new investment solution into the market, focusing specifically on investing in global companies that advance DE&I. And more importantly, they're actually being run and managed by two female 
portfolio managers, which again, I feel is quite underrepresented in our industry. And I think the importance, and I think what I'm most excited about, I think as marketers, is for us to be a reflection of some of the issues facing our clients today, and also be that proxy in terms of portraying client sentiment, shift in the diversity of our society today. And I think within our sector, it's how do we position ourselves to be able to deliver on our fiduciary responsibilities to our clients across their retirement, their pension schemes, their investments, to also reflect the opportunities of how our economy and our environment is changing. And I think DNI is one of them. And I think as investors, we often have the authority and the influence to engage with company boards and leaderships to hold them accountable to these metrics. Because we know, and through the data, that these companies actually perform, both from a share price, value, retention of talent, um, you know, they will perform, which again will mean that this industry will invest in those companies because we also think it's a longer term investment that will help us fulfill those fiduciary responsibilities. I'm very excited because it's also a area and theme that hasn't had much advocacy from a direct promotions point of view, right? Mm -hmm. So I think every company has been trying to sort of do it um, through their leadership. But I think this is the first time in the industry where we're actually committing to say, actually, we actually think this creates value and shareholder wealth and better outcomes for our clients. And as an asset manager, it's also a reflection of what we want to champion, our corporate values, our brand values. And I think as we continue to educate and create that awareness and alignment between advancing these principles and goals is actually going to create better wealth and better equality for investors and for companies. And for companies to be mindful of having a catalyst to start embarking on that change and holding themselves accountable because the investors will also do the same. It's so interesting getting the capital markets perspective because as marketers, we so often are very focused on consumers and indeed employees, but the capital markets have tremendous influence on how you hold people accountable. The it that you're talking about, Lynn, have, is there any texture around that? What are the metrics? Is it pertaining to women in management roles? retention of employees, female advancement, because one of the tricky things about all of this DEI work and indeed sustainability is the lack of accounting standards across the board. And I see this in the ESG world, for example, environmental, social and governance. There's greater advancement in environmental because there are standard metrics around carbon footprint, but the S, the social part, which which is the intersection of DEI that you're discussing, it's rather, it's, it's fair game, isn't it, in terms of clarity? So I'd love from your perspective at Alliance Bernstein to share with us how you're thinking about that and where that's going from a quantification standpoint. I agree with you 100%. I think it's something that's going to continue to evolve, similar to environment, mm -hmm. right? And, and I think even the metrics and environment aren't like for like. Right. And I think it's going to come back to, you know, when I look at our framework in terms of our investors analyzing companies um, and it's going to be 
probably a combination of art and science, but it's also working with these companies, speaking to their leadership, speaking to analysts about how do you benchmark, how do you extract data? And like you said, I think when we look at equality um, and even equity and um, fairness, it's metrics. But if you think about how long we've been having this conversation, it hasn't really advanced. So we can set these criterias and companies can report to them, but fundamentally they haven't actually really moved the dial. Yeah. So again, I think when we look at equality is how do you systemically start ingraining some of those longer term changes? But I think the reporting is going to evolve because not every company is going to be the same. You know, when you look at Ericsson and you look at obviously some of the other firms represented on this panel, their business model and their strategic focus is gonna differ. I think for us as investors on the capital market side needs to kind of understand the industries and sectors and clients that they target, because it will be a probably a slightly different framework in terms of the challenges they're facing from a DE and I perspective versus a lifestyles brand company. Um, so I, I think it is going to evolve as people become much more empowered around awareness and knowledge. I think education and sharing is going to be very crucial um, because you're right. I think the social and governance aspect of everything we do in firms is still very vague. Yes. Um, and people can't benchmark it even as it is today. But I'm very encouraged that at least we're having the discussion and we're at least making a pledge and a commitment. Tremendous. And Lynn, finally, you, you drew a subtle distinction between equity and equality. Could I ask you to identify how you see the distinction uh, coming out. What's the difference in your mind? It is subtle, and this year's theme around International Women's Day is embrace equity. So I'm going to put Lynn on the spot, maybe a little, Lynn, if I may. The hardest question. <laughs> you get the hardest question. Yeah. I invite all the ladies on the panel yeah. to... Uh, I'll help you out, but yeah. if you could get us started. So, and again, I think I'm also empowering myself to learn more as a leader, to figure out how I empower and, and create a much more inclusive environment for my team and future leaders. Um, I think for me, equality is having the same access. Right? So if you think about women in this room, we now have access to the same senior roles. We all have access um, to you know, opportunities. Equality is really about being very mindful and respectful that there's differences amongst every individual based on their background, their ethnicity, their heritage, that for them to succeed with the same opportunity, they may need additional support they may need additional flexibility, but it's that consideration. I think that's beautiful. That may be the best definition <laughs> I've heard between equality uh, versus equity. Thank you, Lynn. I see a lot of head nods. I think fundamentally what you're saying is equality is about everyone having the same access. Equity takes into account the different starting points and the different backgrounds. Thank you. That was beautiful, Lynn. All right, so let's go again to, to technology and Rachel and HPE. Rachel, an example of an initiative. I know it's hard to pick one because you have many and its impact on both the brand and the target of advancing equity for women. I've been going around in my head about how I tell the story without taking an hour. Um, 
So Hewlett Packard Enterprise, the brand's all about opening up opportunities for customers, for people, for individuals, for teams, just opening up those opportunities. And if you think about that, you, there's two things that have to happen. One is within the business, you actually have to have a culture that where the processes and policies encourage that. So whether it is the right for women to have control over their bodies, the right to flexible work, um, the right to fair pay, no matter what color of your skin, religion, gender, etc. Um, all of that has to be in place, and it is. And actually, we've got this extraordinary uh, CEO, Antonio, where that is for him like it's a it's a no brainer, and 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 it and it shall be done. So you have an atmosphere within the business of constantly looking at and thinking about how different people bring different perspectives to the table and how you can encourage and support them so that they can actually open up the opportunities for them, right? Because the purpose of the business is all about advancing the way people live and work. So you have to, you know, it starts at home. But the initiative I thought was really interesting, which actually I sort of inherited when I started, so I take no credit, but my team worked on it, so I shall take a little, um, is that um, the, the challenge is, is, and I have stats for this, but I never remember stats, so I shall read them to you, but only a quarter of the US technology workforce is women. During the pandemic, more than 2 million women left the workforce in the US, and one in four are still talking about leaving, right? So the challenge is, if you don't, if you think back to being at school, if you don't, didn't know some of these jobs existed, <laughs> then how do you ever aspire to do those roles? And if you don't see people talking about the work they do, how do you know that's even a thing? And they have to look and sound and feel like they're kin to you, to your background, to your, your perspectives. And the reason this is so important, apart from you know, all the obvious things around, like we were all born equal. <laughs> we should all have a right to contribute to the way the world works, you know, that that should be straightforward. The thing that we're measuring, which I find fantastic, is there's the Voice of the Workforce study that happens every year. It's actually got the highest completion that I've ever seen in any company I've ever worked with. I've worked with about 30 brands in my career because I work on repositioning businesses. And so I tend to go where, where that work is needed. And then when the work's done, it's like Mary, Mary Poppins used to say, bye-bye, off you go. Um, can't believe I just described myself as Mary Poppins. Um, <laughs> so not true. I don't have that kind of handbag. Um, but um, the measure in the voice of the workforce is around um, what, what attributes in the way the culture works that really appeal to you and you think the company's really strong on. So the company is strong on, self-declared by the employees, kind of 65,000 of them, bringing diverse perspectives to work, bringing diverse experience and being heard, um, being able to put forward ideas that advance the way we live and work, um, having flexibility to do your job the way you need to do it. And these all rank like at 90 something, 96, 97%. The reason that's important is that every business is unique right? And so they all want solutions that meet where they're at in their business model, in their life cycle, in their, in their industry, in, in the mood of the, of the global economy. And they don't want to be treated as cookie cutter. So if you have a workforce that, that knows that that diverse thinking and also the support that everybody has, I mean, I've, I've got a disability, I can't hear on one side, you know, it's just kind of, this is all normal at work. 
But bringing those diverse perspectives to the table actually brings a greater outcome for businesses who employ people <laughs> and who also make the world work. And it also means that the talent is much more sticky. It's attractive because you can be you at work. You can bring everything you know to the table. So there's this kind of, so the initiative was doing, <laughs> to get to the end of the story, um, the initiative was doing this film called In Her Element, which basically um, showed, you know, incredible, like this incredible woman who was a team leader at Rocket Venturi, you know, an amazing woman who's an artist and a DJ and a performer. I mean, roles that you wouldn't really even know exist, let alone that could be done by you in the future. And really celebrated that. And there were watch parties and so many follow-up um, kind of workshops and groups and discussions. But it's just continually marketing internally that this is who we are. And, it, it, and it's not something we're striving for. It's something that we are today and we must protect and nurture. And I think it's important to emphasize yours is a B2B business, yeah. primarily, Rachel. Oh, totally. So um, how do you, is, it, what's the implication of that as you think about gender representation in your marketing? So I, I've always struggled with this B2B, B2C thing because I think it's just what you buy. Sometimes you buy stuff at work and sometimes you buy stuff at home. When you buy at work, you have the complexity of colleagues to deal with. And when you buy stuff at home, you have the complexity of your family to deal with. So it's sort of just slightly different, but same, same, but different. Um, I think the thing is, is that you are selling and marketing to people. And if you're global, those people will be diverse and they will think differently. And the more you mirror the society you market into, actually the easier it is to do your work really well. And at the end of the day, as marketeers, we have to be market oriented. It doesn't, the navel gazing just does not work. You have to understand what the buyer needs, what they want, what, what they really will value. And then you also have to understand what your talent is capable of. And, and, and it's like kind of matchmaking. I mean, mm. it's sort of, you know, there's, a, there's an element of that. So, the more in, we just see human beings as human beings and tap into what they need and help them be successful, the better. But I think B2B for years has been this kind of like, I market to a business. You know, it's very, very professional. Yeah, I market to a business. It's like, there's no such thing. It's all people. It's just people in a construct that is not a family, but in a business, trying to do the best thing. And at the, at the end of the day, what we all worry about of, you know, have I made the right decision? Am I going to lose my job over this? Is this going to work out? Have I been brave, too brave? You know, that kind of thing. We all feel that in our jobs, just as the buyers do. And just as the talent does when you do these two or three interviews and then decide to commit yourself to a business. I mean, what's that about? It's really hard. Mm -hmm. So I think we just sort of need to stop thinking about B2B and B2C and actually just think about understanding our buyers and our talent and trying to make that work brilliantly. What a novel notion that we're all people. <laughs> Thanks for that. Thanks for that reminder, Rachel. All right, Kate, financial services, consumer banking, etc. An initiative that takes women into account that has impacted brand building. Yeah, so actually for us, I would say that our initiative is all of our initiatives in a way. And so I'm going to speak specifically about Metal right now. So as I mentioned, Metal is a digital banking app and we target the self-employed. So self-starters, small businesses, uh, small startups. 
And if you think about the popular culture of a startup, it's often two guys in a hoodie in a garage, you know, starting a business unwashed, <laughs> you know, sleeping <laughs> on the floor. Um, if you also think about the language of the startup culture, it's pretty harsh. It's grid, it's hustle, it's, it's very strong, aggressive words often. Um, and that's, again, just what we see in the movies and on TV. Uh, frankly, also, a lot of startups have been started by men, the big successful ones. We are also a financial services firm. So you put those two things together, it'd be very easy for us to lean into a pretty masculine, dominated way of marketing. And so my job, but I will say we have a very supportive LT, a leadership team and CEO, is to make sure we do not do that. So everything we do, we make sure we try to represent everyone in our marketing, right? So it's not that language. It's not those sort of images. You know, we make sure we have women and diverse photos and um, we make sure we interview when we do customer stories. It's a lot of women and men and different, you know, outside London, in London, you know, all the different people who actually are startups in the UK. Um, and so, I think that is really what we try to make sure that we do. And uh, Rachel and I think Stella also mentioned it. We also try to internalize that in our hiring as well. So you, we have to make sure that, again, we could, we're techie, we're financial services. We could really lean into the two dominant on the masculine side. We do really, um, really, I would say, uh, important work around making sure we're recruiting young women for our software team, for our technology team, for the non traditional places where you might find women. Uh, and that's a really big marketing initiative for us as well. So I think those are, those I, are the places we focus. Case, what would you say to the idea that there aren't enough women out there for financial services or tech? What are you finding is working? And can you give us any insight into the supply? Yes, for working at mm. the company. Yeah, so it is difficult. I mean, because it does start, I think we've mentioned, it starts quite young. You you want women to get into those math programs and, you know, sort of science programs at an early age. So we, and being a part of NatWest is quite lucky for us because NatWest does a lot of this as well. So we can lean into those programs. But it's really important for us to find those little programs across the country that um, support that. So for example, there's one that's called, um, I think it's Girls Who Code or Girls mm -hmm. Who Code. And we recruit from that. And actually, we have two women right now on our staff from that program. We work very closely with them all the time. Um, we do a lot of things in our recruiting to make sure that the, it is as gender blind as possible. Um, we make sure that we, uh, you know, if you're going to interview for a job, there's at least one to two women for every role. You know, we wouldn't accept it that just men uh, are on the panel, um, either interviewing or as the interviewee. Um, and, and I think we actually do it in our actions as well. Once some, something we're quite proud of, we just nominated or promoted a young woman at work to a very senior role. She's been with the company for years. So it's a really lovely progression. I mean, she actually, I think she started as an intern. So, you know, this is, and she is now almost, you know, one of the most senior people in the company and she just had a baby too. So, you know, we're saying, yeah, look, you can have a huge role at the company and she's getting off conference calls in the middle of it with very important, you know, people saying, sorry, the baby's crying. I got to go. And that's fine. You know, it's absolutely fine, but that's a change. You know, to, you have to, you have to model it. You have to demonstrate it. Otherwise it'll never change. 
And any reactions on the consumer side? Or is there a dimension of that that gets manifest in the app or the customer experience? Is there awareness around female female relationship Mm. with money, which is well-documented, that might be that bit different from the male relationship with money. Absolutely. So there's a few different ways. So it's funny because, again, as I mentioned, you know, you have this popular culture that startups are very male-dominated. Actually, we've done the research. Our customer base is 60, 40 women. So actually, there's a lot of women out there starting new businesses. There's one at my table, actually, today. Mm. Um, And, you know, that's fantastic. And so how do we reflect that, not only in the marketing, but to your point, in the product. So we work closely with our product team and we look at those customer journeys, the language, the buttons, the colors, you know, what content are we sharing? To your point, are we are we answering the questions that someone might be too scared to ask? Because again, you know, it's the tradition. Um, again, putting on our website and in our social media and our content you know, what do, what do people ask? How do you, there's no dumb question if you're starting up, you know, what are the five things you need to know? What about taxes? What about setting up my LLC? Whatever it might be, just being really open and and very broad in the content we share, you know, so that everyone feels they look at our, they look at our app or they look at our website and they think I could do that. Marvelous. Thanks for that, Kate. So Sam, professional services, Mm -hmm. Uh, women can have great careers there, right? Um, so t- tell us more. Tell us about an initiative. I know there sure. are many for many years that KPMG has embarked on. What's working? What would you like to share? Great. Thank you. The joy of going last. So I'm going to try and build on, on what we've heard so far. But interesting, I've got a, another sort of example that's really about women and tech, which I want to cover. So you know, back to us, you know, 265,000 people in 143 countries or territories around the world, 48.4% of female of, of uh, our workforce. So pr- pretty big number. The example I'm going to give you um, is taken from our UK, and I wanted to share it because it's going global. It actually launches, I think, in Australia next week. International Women's Day. Um, also, it came not really as a marketing initiative, it came grassroots up, which always works best, and, and we find that as well. But it does deal with this um, you know, challenge around women in tech. It's called It's Her Future. So um, IT, capital I, capital T, so you will get that little play on that. Um, it was created by a lady called Anna Samaya um, in our UK firm with a, a group of like-minded women. There was about 30 of them that pulled together and it was dealing with a, a business challenge. So basically 48% of our workforce in the UK firm, female, only 17% in our technology and working in technology roles. And just to give you an idea, there's about 3,000 technologists now in the UK firm about 30,000 globally, just to give you an idea. So in terms of where we are. So they set out to deal with this, which was how we're gonna help this recruitment challenge, but also it broadened then into how would we go beyond that and and, and almost move to, you know, try and change the sector, try and move things forward generally and and take it beyond what we were trying to do. So, um, you know, really good program, lots of elements, a whole menteeship program, um, you know, ally to advocate element that was part of that. There was also a piece on next generation for schools as well, um, really looking at, um, I think, years nine and 10 and, and working with them, teaching them how to code, all of those things. Um, and, you know, the bits that were really interesting as well was really deep diving on training. So leaning into 
women in the technology group coming into more senior roles, giving them bespoke training. We did a, a program with um, University of Cambridge on that as well as part of that. So lots of different elements and then obviously a, a whole recruitment spiel as well. So similar to what we've already heard, so in the interest of time, I'm not going to repeat the, the mechanics of that, but, you know, having, um, you know, balance on your panels, all of those things. And then if I sort of push through and say the results, what's it delivered? Well, I think we're now at 43% of our technology team are now female in the UK. So a massive result there back from that 17%. But what's interesting is back to impact on the brand, 70% of the people we hire in now to those roles come in because of that program. Mm. And that program has drawn them into the organization. It's won the best IDE initiative, the Women in IT Awards, and it also won for the, the next generation element of the program, the junior program as well, um, for, the, for the best of the junior training program. So it's doing really well. Um, our challenge is taking it global. Um, so all the things we've already heard about, it's going to go, it's already running in five countries, but we want to go beyond that. Um, and also, you know, that's within our firm, but also taking it beyond our firm as well, which I think is really interesting next step. And then, you know, maybe just one point to add based on, on uh, the discussion so far. Now, this is all about, you know, if we have more women technologists, women in technology, then the emerging techs are going to be more female friendly. Yeah. So they're going to be just generally better from uh, all the issues that we've got around bias in AI, all of those things. You know, we need to, to basically influence that. And, and that's really the end game overall. Tremendous. And, and Sam, I'd love for you to reflect with the deep experience you have of doing this over the years. Anything you would do differently or anything you've observed that surprised you of around the impact or the mechanic of the program? I think, you know, these things, when you have people with a passion to solve it from the business, I, there's something very authentic in that. And, you know, our purpose is around inspire confidence, empower change. So people really taking that to heart and, and driving that, I think is really good. I, I think there's, you know, we haven't really been involved in it from a marketing perspective. It's come up through the employer brand side. I think there is possibilities to do more on that now, but you also don't want to you don't want to lose that sort of grassroots passion that comes with it as well. And I can see, you know, I was talking to the lady yesterday, knowing I was coming on the panel, the lady in Brazil yesterday, who's like running it now in Brazil and, and the way that they're structuring it there and the way they're thinking about it, it's, it's really exciting. And, you know, they've got a whole module that they're launching next week as well around International Women's Day. So I, I think, you know, yes, there's more that we can do, but there's something about tapping into that passion that people have. And back to the emphasis on storytelling, allowing those people to tell the stories. And, and it just brings an authenticity that, you know, once marketing gets hold of it, you, you know, you've got to make sure you keep that authenticity. I think that's just a lovely insight because so often in marketing, our tendency tends to be a little control oriented and standardization and consistency and getting that balance right between letting something bubble up that was not made in the marketing department, still supporting it and leaving it opportunity to have both best practice and a regional accent. So it sounds like you're managing that tension beautifully. Look forward to keeping an eye on that one, Sam, and best of luck next week. Thank you. So now we're going to shift gears. As we've identified, we live in a very complex environment. 
macroeconomic, I mentioned earlier, geopolitical, our business challenges are complex, the nature of driving toward inclusion is inherently complex. Well, at Siegel and Gale, we believe in the power of simplicity as a way to access solutions in um, unconventional approaches. And what I thought would be fun, because we like to have fun, is to invite all six of our panelists to bring one physical object to the panel. My prompt was, pick an object that represents simplicity to you and tell us why you brought that object. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the show and tell portion <laughs> of the morning. And Lynn, I'm going to just to mix it up, I'm going to invite you to get us started. So ladies, um, as concisely as you can, describe what did you bring and why does it represent simplicity? Lynn, please. Well, I've got the perfect example because this was an initiative that I worked with Siegel and Gale on, on a global rebrand at my previous firm eight years ago. Um, so I'm well averse in simplicity. <laughs> um, so that was my takeaway. So one of the things we did to obviously activate the rebrand globally was to do a desk drop and, and socialization of the brand value proposition. And so part of the conceptualization was really about making your mark. Um, so we had branded pencils made, which I still keep to this day, called Advancing Potential. And I think for me, what it represents in the most simplistic way is accessibility. But also if you think about innovation, creativity, change comes from one idea. And I think what the pencil represents is when that thought process goes into development or activation, right? And that's kind of, and your potential is really unlimited. And I think for me, that always symbolizes that everyone has the ability to advance their potential, irrespectively of where they started. Rachel, what did you bring? Okay, so I was gonna bring a magic wand, but my children told me it was inauthentic. So I had to rethink it this Wait, morning. Mary Poppins doesn't have a magic wand. <laughs> I, it's in my bag. No, genuinely, I did bring it, but they were like, yeah, no. Uh, 12 year olds and nine year olds are really like quite tough. Uh, they're very honest. Um, so I bought, this is, um, this is wearing your heart on your sleeve. I bought a picture of my brain tumor that I had out six years ago, which actually lives in the kitchen on the radiator that we stick all the family photographs on. And the reason I bought it is that the thing about having had a brain tumor is I just don't have very much energy. <laughs> and I think about it every morning as being a bit like, I've got a pot of energy and some days it'll take me 10 scoops of it to put my shoes on and some days it'll take me half a scoop. So I have to do everything in my life in priority order, <laughs> literally. It's like do the things first that are the most important or urgent and work your way towards the things that will live on the to-do list till I die, right? And so nothing. I can't do things in a complicated way. I have to take complexity and I have to make it simple because then I can get through my day. Because the really unfortunate thing is my brain is great, but my body is not quite up to my brain. 
And, you know, I, I just think that that reality that you end up with of whether it is juggling parenthood and work, whether it is your age, whether it is your time of life, whether it is the, the experiences that have affected you, I think as you get older, you just get more and more crisp about, I have, I have to actually do the things that matter first. And so that is, that is my reflection on life, is that you just have to keep reminding yourself, it's great to be alive, but don't waste your time on things. My mum, before she died, she had two pieces of advice. She said, there'll always be more email and you will never wish you did more cleaning. So, you know, I think these are the, these are the life Beautiful. lessons we have to, you know, live our life by. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that deeply personal story, Rachel. Very touching. Thank you. Okay, Kate, what are you concealing? It's petite. It's petite. It is. It's small. Uh, it's a quarter. And uh, I use it um, to make decisions. So heads, tails. And so I brought it in because I'm a New Yorker. So we're a little type A. Uh, I went to business school, which is also a bit type A. Uh, work in financial services. And so I am one of those people who thinks spreadsheets are the answer to everything and a PowerPoint is probably the best way to share the information. Uh, and and what happens is you start to, I find, and I think this is pretty typical across business, you just try to get more and more information before you can make a decision. And you sort of get, you know, the, the typical analysis paralysis. And that, that was happening to me. It was happening to my team. I was seeing it in the organizations I worked at. And, um, and I think it leads to, to a lack of decision-making. And the feedback I always get back from my teams is like, look, we're, just make the decision. Even if it's the wrong one, we just need a decision so we can go forward. And so I think this is, this is how I try to remind myself that you don't have to have all the information. You don't have to spend hours or days or weeks trying to find that perfect answer. Actually, sometimes you could just flip a coin and it'll help you at least go down a direction or or your gut will feel so against what you thought you'll actually make the other decision and so it's just a way to remind myself that sometimes it's not a complex answer it's just a simple flip of a coin <laughs> marvelous and that gives us a lot of um permission to act thank you for that kate sam yours is in a bag <laughs> I have to say this part, I did a drama degree, so I like, like a little bit of mystery, a little oh, bit of reveal. So. Okay, so which marketer in the room didn't take theatre classes? <laughs> Go ahead, okay. Sam. Here it is. There was the a big giveaway. reveal. A Polaroid camera. And, and the reason for bringing this is I, I do a lot of photography. It's a big passion of mine. Um, and I kind of miss the analog days a bit, I have to tell you. So my own dark room, do my own printing, and then I had to sort of move on to digital. So staying with the tech theme and getting with it. But there is something about Polaroid and there is something about the sort of dreamy quality of Polaroid shots, which is still hard to match. And back to simplicity in the brief. Well, A, it's always good to have a product that's like named after the brand and it kind of kept its name. Mm -hmm. The branding's still there. You remember, I think it was, anyone know when it was invented, Polaroid? camera back in 1948 just so you know so it's been going for some time you no longer need batteries uh, you can charge it on your computer but the best thing about it is there's only one button to press and you can interact <laughs> with your audience as you do it so here goes from me to everybody to record today 
smile. Oh, that was fun. Thank you. All right, Stella. What pray tell? So I have um, a pair of rather scruffy, actually, children's shoes that I brought in. And uh, when, when I saw the question, I sort of, and I reflected, actually, I was on a flight and I was thinking, what can I take that's going to answer this question? And when I think about the role of marketing and communications, it, and as you say, we're in a, this hugely complex world and we have to be able to reach and get our messages understood by so many different people, which could be in any country all over the world, or it could be somebody who's in media or somebody who is in government or a customer or an employee, but everyone has their own starting point and their own background. And so one of the things that I was, uh, and I always say to my team as well is, when you're thinking about any message you want to take out, you have to put yourself into the shoes of the person in which you're talking to. And in addition to that, um, for me, I think in order to be successful at your job, and it's obviously everything that you think about from an agency perspective as well, is you have to understand the complex in order to make something simple. And so our jobs is always to really understand the complex. That could be about the business, it could be about your purpose, it could be about your product that you're selling. And so also, if you can't explain that to a child, then you don't know it well enough. And so that's my object. Powerful. And finally, Abby. Okay, so this is interesting because I have bought exactly the same object as somebody else on the panel. Oh. And I have a different one in my bag in case this happened. And the funnier thing is, somebody else bought something in their bag in case the same thing happened. But I chose to stick with the same object because it actually plays brilliantly. Now I've heard their story to perspectives. So I also bought a pencil, but my perspective on why I bought a pencil is entirely different from Lynn's and I didn't know it before. So my story is this, it's actually not about the pencil, it's about a pen. I was gifted a very smart gold pen that looked all very modern. And I was saying, and I read the leaflet in it, and it said this pen was called the space pen. And it was designed for, you know, astronauts, people in space. And I was like, wow, why do, why do astronauts need a special pen? And it was because, of course, gravity means that the ink doesn't roll down and this one works. To which my answer was, well, why don't they just use a pencil? <laughs> so... I think I'm a slightly brutal northerner when it comes to just putting the truth out there and asking the questions that everybody else is a little embarrassed to ask. But if you look at something, it will continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger. The more you look at it, you will add more people to it. You will add more complexity to it. Now, you will also add different perspectives to it. But sometimes you do have to just go, thanks, I've heard all of that. I want to know, go back to the simple and brutal question is, what is the simplest way to get done the original thing that was on the brief? And often that's to start with the original, which is a pencil. It's just so wonderful, ladies. Thank you. Thank you for indulging the exercise and having fun with it. And the exercise for all of us in the audience is to think about that when we go home. What would be our choice of simplicity object? I'm now going to invite the final question and response. And um, keeping in mind the time, I'm going to ask you, starting with Sam, ever so briefly down the line to answer the following. 
We've heard a lot about what you are doing vis-a-vis Embrace Equity, the International Women's Day 2023 theme. But one of the things that I've learned over my career as a student of many organizations is that organizations are largely a product of their commitments. What you emphasize, where you place resources, and those commitments define what you will be. So, starting with Sam, what is your organization's commitment to embracing gender equity and Practically as importantly, how will you measure success? Okay, so we have a goal to have 33% um, women in leadership roles in our firm by 2025. I would say to you, our global management team already um, is 50-50, as are some of our firms, but not across the whole piece. So I think we're about 27.3% at the moment in terms of where we need to be. Um, So we're committed to that. And exactly like you say, Margaret, the challenge is is really having a roadmap of how you're going to get there. So giving guidance along all the things we've talked about today. Uh, We're dealing with um, gender pay gap as well. That's on the horizon for next year. And and we have this, you know, fabulous um, KPMG Women's Network. You know, acronym does no, which we quite like. Um, And we're building that out as well. We're doing much more with that. So there's a lot around the how are we going to get to hit that metric um, as we move forward. And I think really taken by a comment from WEF that says, you know, you really, we have to get women into positions of emerging roles that are coming through and that's where the focus needs to be. So it's really with that in mind um, that we're doing that. Uh, So we are hiring like crazy. We actually worked out the numbers the other day and we realized to hit our goals by the end of the year, we need to hire at at least one person a day until Christmas. Um, So you can imagine that it's putting a huge strain on the company, not just the recruiting team, but all of us who are involved in interviewing and, and getting people on board. So we are measuring that and keeping a very close eye on that, which is, you know, are we bringing in the right talent, but also women, diverse talent, uh, diverse cultures, whatever it might be. And so that's really where we are focusing our attention right now. So, Rachel. So I think a lot of the policies are in place and the measurements are in place. There's a big program going on at the moment, which is amazing, which is about the employee value proposition. I don't believe in employer brands and stuff like that, but I do believe in value propositions. Um, and it's all audience in. So it's what does what what do the different types of people within the business actually need? And then the impact is going to be not to spin that back to them and messaging, but actually to go and look at the policies in the company and work out what needs changing and improving. But I was talking to an amazing woman that I know um, who's just fantastic. And I could see she was not getting along with another woman in the group. We're in this leadership team together. They have different opinions. And I said to her, I was like, are you okay? And she said, yeah, because I will never throw another woman under the bus. I don't, we are absolutely allowed to have different opinions. We're allowed to argue. We're allowed to thrash it out. We will always commit and we are always committed to each other. And I thought that's the personal commitment we have to make, right? Is to support each other and to support the men around us to support the women, you know, and just actually see this properly as being a a, a way to encourage each other to do brilliantly, not at the expense of each other. Lynn, please. 
That was amazing, Rachel. Yeah. Um, I think for our industry, um, there's always been a challenge. I think there's a challenge in terms of retaining senior women. I think there's also a, a challenge in terms of attracting women talent as an industry as a whole. So I think there's a systemic problem, which the asset management industry is obviously trying to strategize to think about why do they not want to come into finance, right? And I suspect IT is has similar challenges, although it sounds like they're making much more momentum. I think for our firm, and yes, I think everyone has metrics, and I think given the macro environment, it has set back some firms around advancing some of those initiatives. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for us, around sort of diversity, equity, and inclusion are, is twofold. I think for me in a leadership role is making sure that I'm there and accessible and available to mentor up and coming talented women and making sure that they feel safe and making sure that they can flex. Um, but I think also too, as leaders, and I agree on the support and champion and having advocates is also teaching them how to have a voice and use that voice. Because um, I don't think I certainly had that opportunity when I was coming to the industry, and I think that's something that we can pay back. Um, I think the other half of this industry is we, again, I think optically seem to attract the same people from the same private schools. And so how do you get diversity of thought, right? How do you challenge consensus where you don't have sort of um, very one like-minded decision-making. So we've been participating in programs with other peers to really give internships to people from very diverse, um, less affluent backgrounds who would never be able to get into any kind of banking or asset management internships. And again, showing that opportunity and creating that opportunity, I think over time will permeate, but it is, it is tough. It is one step at a time. Yeah. And Stella, please. With uh, similar, we've all got the same challenges of, of building up the uh, the diversity of the organisation. But one of the areas that we're really now focusing on is it's not just about attracting females into those roles; it's also about retaining. And uh, and when we started to look at sort of where we were losing um, people, um, it's a lot of women are leaving the industry, especially post pandemic as well. And so it's important um, to create an environment where women want to stay and women want to work as well. And so a lot of the pieces that we've been doing is building together um, training programs where you bring women together as well and empower women. And certainly one of the things, and also getting senior leaders to come in and talk to uh, talk to these groups as well. So something when when you do get women together, it's it's a formidable sort of group. It's and it's so empowering when you can see very strong, very single-minded sort of women wanting to sort of drive and and uh, and drive their careers forward. But I think one of the other things, and when I've talked to some of these um, these the, these groups as well, and we create and sort of nurture them very much across the organisation is is to be honest, because it is it is hard to manage a job and a family and all of the commitments that you have. You feel guilt all of the time for sort of often leaving your family. I've been internationally traveling for years and I've struggled with this. And I think it's okay to admit that, uh, you know, it's it, they're not all super women that are up there, um, that we all are human beings and we all have these challenges and it's okay to have bad days and it's okay to have these feelings and to talk to one another about it. And I think this is the important thing is as we, as we encourage women and encourage them into the organisation is let's be honest about, uh, about some of the commitments that you need to make as well. And finally, Abby, please. Um, 
Our, our commitment is not about an initiative, it's about our existence. Um, we talked before about equity and equality. So you know, preventative diagnostics for people in the workplace is equality because everybody should be valued as somebody who can bring something to the business, help it grow and be part of a you know team with a capital T, you know, we're all together. But then recognizing those individuals, you know, this is where we started the conversation earlier and that's what we stand for and that is an ultimate initiative around why a business should exist because everybody is valued everybody brings something and you know we should all be treated in exactly the same way with a recognition of what our differences are and how we can embrace them and in our business it's how you can continue to embrace them by ensuring that you live long healthy happy lives in order that you can achieve your ultimate goals whoever you are marvelous what a lovely note so as I reflect on the panel and in thanking you ever so sincerely for your contributions, it strikes me that our conversation has highlighted many areas. We traversed intergenerational opportunity for women, women's careers, healthcare, representation of women in our marketing and on our teams. And we also touched on the beautiful power of simplicity to unlock creative, enduring, deep solutions. On this, the eve, if you will, of International Women's Day, most of all, I'm personally struck by the ambitions of your programs and the opportunities that you've identified for your marketing, both employer branding internally and your external programs to at once address business goals and inclusion goals. I'm reminded of the British author, Beatrix Potter, who, um, reminded by the shoes, the children's shoes, who once said, and I paraphrase, something to the effect of, the delicious thing about starting to write a story is that you never know where the words will take you. And I see many parallels with the stories that you shared here today. Small ideas, large ideas, all not only have a profound direct impact, but can be braided together to generate a cumulative force and vision. Much like the physical objects that you generously brought to the meeting, the stories that you're telling are making the ambition around inclusion tangible for all of us. Thank you, Sam, Kate, Rachel, Lynn, Stella and Abby for sharing your stories and the stories of the brands that you help lead. Once again, I invite all of you to follow our podcast, How CMOs Commit, to listen to this story, to share it with your colleagues, male, female, all genders, and indeed, to listen to the panels of the wonderful professionals we have gathered in this series across the world. 
All that remains for me is to thank you, our wonderful London audience, thank my colleagues, my team, and invite you to join me in thanking our wonderful panel. With that, have a wonderful International Women's Day. Thank you all.